Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor Podcast, brought to you by The Herald. Coming up... No, I don't, don't accept that for a second. It would have been simply been impossible for us to avoid any transmission from Europe. The level of uh, neglect and ambivalence by the UK government to properly marshal the UK's borders, which of course Scotland, where we remain in the UK, is subject to, um, is unforgivable and will not stand scrutiny over time. They are looking at the NHS on its knees, and that is the responsibility of the SNP government. Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor, and welcome to the latest edition of my Herald podcast. It's just one big topic this week. It these up into a couple of areas. It's, it's the, the pandemic, of course, that hideous plague that has afflicted us all for too long, and whether it's right to be moving to lift restrictions. Now, earlier today, the First Minister said it would be wrong to throw all caution to the wind. She was still cautious. But she also signaled that she was now more optimistic than perhaps she had been about a week ago, about being able to shift all of Scotland to level zero uh, in, in COVID by July the 19th and to lift other constraints by August the 9th, but not lifting everything. She still wants some degree of, of, of common sense, if you like, to attach to that. Now, a final decision on all of that for Scotland will be announced next Tuesday, but let's look at the competing pressures right here and right now on my podcast. Delighted to welcome my panel from the SNP, Dave Dugan, the MP for Angus from the Conservatives Highland MSP Donald Cameron, from Labour, the south of Scotland, MSP Martin Whitfield. But I'm joined first from the Herald team by Helen McArdle. Helen, just bring us up to speed on that, that issue, the, the issue that was plaguing us all, the record number of new cases in, in Scotland. And then the First Minister saying today, maybe still signs for optimism among it. Expl- explain that apparent dichotomy to us. The cause for optimism is that we appear to be seeing the first signs of a decline. So to put that into context, and it's very yeah. early days, but what Nicola Sturgeon is looking at is the seven-day average. That, that's what we're really interested in, rather than just the each individual day's figures. And when you look at today's seven-day um, seven cases, you, in the past week we've had 20,993, which is a lot in comparison to previous uh, weeks in the pandemic, but that's actually down from the previous week when we had yeah. 22,746. So what yeah. we've seen really for the first time in, in the past few weeks, we've actually seen a week-on-week decline. So that's okay. what Nicola Sturgeon is talking about. She's talking about this possibly tentatively being a, a sign of a decline. That does also tie in with what we're seeing in the seven-day average for specimen cases. So that's the time that someone takes a swab and admits it for testing and, and later testing positive. We're seeing a decline in, in those as well. So there are tentative suggestions. Um, you know, she said um, it's a moment for care and caution was what she yeah. said. Um, yeah. She also did say in reference to the announcement next week that it's, it's always possible to proceed with um, some things and not others. So there seems to be a suggestion maybe that next week's announcement might be that we adopt yeah. the things we planned on July the 19th, but not yeah. necessarily all of them. Yeah, I think I, I, and that's, that it sounded that way to me and, and perhaps, you know, continuing uh, the, the use of, of face coverings, continuing the, 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 the distancing areas. Let, let's, go, let's go to the panel. Uh, Helen, get, come back in and join us in, in, in a few seconds. But Don, Donald Cameron, th- those figures on the, the record for new cases, I mean, you know, we like to see Scotland 
setting records. I particularly like to see a Dundonian outfit at the top of the league table, but I don't like it to be NHS Dayside having the worst record for the number of, of new cases. I mean, out, out of uh, 10 the worst regions in Europe identified by the, the World Health Organization, six of them were in Scotland, two in, in the north of England, and then there was Kazakhstan and, and Moscow. That is not a good uh, set of figures, is it? No, it's, it's not, Brian. And as you say, it's six in 10 of, of the European areas with the highest infection rates at, at the weekend. Uh, and, you know, that's a um, really worrying uh, figure and a really worrying you know, headline to be greeted with. And I think you know, the news today uh, that the first minister uh, said that you know, she's hopeful that, that cases are leveling off. Now, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't quite know why that is. But let's hope that perhaps it's, it's the fact that, you know, schools, I was told, the fact that schools have been off now for yeah. almost two weeks may mean that fewer people are, are mixing together, you know, yeah. schools, etc. Um, but I think you know th- what it shows is is the general point that the, the vaccination is is reducing um, hospitalizations, and, and even though the figures are are worrying in this third wave, they're not no nearly as not nearly as bad as they were in the first, the second wave. And so for th- those reasons, you know, I would really hope that on the nineteenth of July, uh, the date that we've been given. Uh, we can move to, to level zero, Interesting. Uh, as we okay. promised. Okay, okay. Martin Whitfield, what, what's your take on that? I mean, you have, on the one hand, the possible optimism of the figures beginning, beginning to tail off, but but those, those were really dreadful stats for a, for, a, for a short, admittedly a fairly short period, but absolutely dreadful stats, weren't they, Martin? Absolutely. And I think the, the tail off um, is we need to be driven by data. And I know a lot of people say that, and it's very easy to say. But actually, the interpreting of the data um, is incredibly challenging. And we've uh-huh. seen in the, in the past really poor decisions being made on the back of poor decisions on, on data. Um, I you know, live in East Lothian, and I've watched the Lothians, East Lothian, go up in infection over the past 10 days to not quite top the chart, um, but to be that, the highest um, level area that was previously in level two. And what we have to say is over the um, weekend that's been, we had three consecutive days where the figures were low. So looking at the seven day average, it will have dropped um, simply statistically, it will have done. And that's why and you know, one has to admit these are incredibly challenging decisions that the government and the first minister need to take. Well, what's what's your take? Do you, agree with, do you agree with Donald Cameron that, that we should go ahead in Scotland? with moving to level zero on, on I think, July I, 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 think, I think sweeping statements of this is what we should do is where yeah. it's why we're in the trouble that we're in at the moment. Um, I think it's very dangerous to try and anticipate what will happen. I think there are things that we can draw from it. Face masks, of course, we should carry on moving, fa- you know, wearing face masks. I think that's common sense. But to echo something that Donald said, which is very important, we have to remember, of course, in Scotland, that our children have gone on to their summer holidays. Yes. Um, and what was previously, when we were previously told schools were all safe and there was no problems there, the most recent figures over the months have shown that the infection rates, particularly in our high schools, and strangely enough, at the bottom end of our primary schools, have been huge. And the arrival of the summer holidays means that children are not passing and repassing among strangers as much as they were in schools. And that may well be an explanation um, for the drop given the period of time. Now, okay, let's bring in, as let's bring in summer activities. Thanks, sorry, let's, bring, let's, bring in Dave, let's bring in Dave Dugan. D- D- Dave, the, the, the scientists, you know, Professor Leach, etc., in, in the Scottish Government have said that one of the reasons was that Scotland didn't get natural immunity. He doesn't use the, the phrase herd immunity, but that, that's presumably what he means. 
didn't get that natural immunity from the early phase because there was such protection in Scotland that we're now vulnerable to the, the Delta variant coming in. Do, do you think we're going ahead with liberalisation on, on uh, July 19? Do you think it's justified? I think we're on July the 8th just now, uh, Brian. So um, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge between now and the scheduled announcement of releasing uh, restrictions. So yeah. I think the First Minister was quite clear in uh, in her underlying ambition, which I think we all share, regardless of our political colours, uh, to get out of these restrictions in the fullest way uh, as soon as possible. However, there's clearly very little point in doing that uh, if it's going to put uh, the public at increased risk of contracting COVID. So, you think it's still touch and go? You don't think it's... I mean, she, she sounded optimistic, but to be fair, you're absolutely right. She was saying the decision will be taken uh, at a meeting of the Scottish Cabinet on Tuesday. Well, I, I tell you what really heartened me about what the First Minister was very clear about uh, was that she will take the decisions that she believes to be in the best interests of Scotland, regardless of whether or not they're exactly the most popular decisions to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that gives me great comfort because, of course, she, like every other leader in the world, will be getting advice from her scientific advisors. Um, now, that's advice. She has to make the decision with her cabinet yeah. colleagues. Um, yeah. And if the decision is going to be unpopular, I'm relieved that she's going to take it. However, I very, very much hope that she's able to, um, if not, go ahead with the releasing restrictions or go ahead with some key elements of it. And I think, you know, it's really worth pointing out, as, as Martin said, of all the restrictions that we're faced with, yeah. wearing a face covering is not really the most onerous. Um, okay. and, and I'm not cited on why that's such a, a, a priority. Thanks. Let, let, let's break down some of the issues that, that, that arise. Let's talk about test and protect, you know, testing people and then the idea of, of isolation. Donald Cameron, your party, the Conservative Party, said basically that the Scottish government had lost control of that system. What, what justifies that sort of comment? Well, I, I think I could give, give two examples of, of that, Brian. Uh, the first one is that only a quarter of positive, of positive of COVID positive individuals are being interviewed within 24 hours of appearing in what's called the case management system uh, in, in the most recent week. Um, that's significant, significantly down on, on a month ago, where sort of almost two thirds of positive individuals were interviewed within 24 hours. That's one example of the system not working. And the other, the other one is figures from Public Health Scotland, the Scottish Government Agency, that show that the number of cases that are closed uh, mm-hmm. within 72 hours is now well below the WHO's target of, of 80%. You said these are failures by government, failures yes, by the I, government. I'm afraid they are. And I think, we, you know, the, the most important thing to do is to get the test and protect system back up and running properly so that it's effective. It's absolutely critical to our, our, our fighting this virus. Dave Dugan. Well, I'll tell you what I know, Brian, about uh, test and protect is uh, the uh, extraordinary work that public health professionals are doing uh, in Tayside and health boards across mm. the country. The way that my daughter is testing herself or was by, uh, to go back and forward to school, the yeah. amount of times that uh, uh, young people that are you know known to me have been isolating from school you know i think there's a tremendous amount of effort gone into making sure that where positive cases are identified in scotland the appropriate measures are taken to prevent that from being yeah, but what, uh, what about I, I hear what you're saying and i and i echo your your, your sentiments but what, what about donald cameron's point in the, the who standard is to close 80 percent of cases within 72 hours within three days and for, for, for fully two weeks we, we haven't managed that in Scotland we haven't done that now that's that's falling short is it not 
Well, over that same period of time, we have had a tremendous increase in positive cases. Now, you, you know, every 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 capacity. Yeah, is this is the system is meant to cope with increases in positive. That's exactly. the purpose of the system is to cope with it. It's not to be overwhelmed by it. Yeah, no, no, and it is coping with it, but there's naturally a strain on that system when the numbers are of the nature that we've got just now. Um, and I think, you know, it would be a little bit more concerning for people in Scotland if we had a particularly marvellous system operating elsewhere in these islands. But we don't. You know, this is imperfect. Uh, and uh, a lot of people are working tremendously hard uh, to make this work. But, you know, I never used the word overwhelmed, um, Brian, but it is under tremendous strain. OK, Donald, 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 come in again and then Martin Whitfield. Donald, please. Yeah, no, I was just going to um, make the point today that, that you made. I don't think it's a defence to say, well, you know, cases are, are, are really high. I mean, the, the system has to be effective when cases are high. It has to work, you know, when it is under strain. Well, just, sorry, just on that. I take Donald's... Uh, uh, come back, but the problem that we've got, and as I say, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting for one minute that uh, testing protect is without issues. I'm not suggesting for one minute that it's doing everything that it's absolutely we need it to do. It's under tremendous strain, as I've said. However, we have a system operating in England, the track and trace, which is colossally expensive, potentially £37 billion. Its sole objective was to predict, stop a second lockdown, and we're coming out of a third lockdown. So, I mean, I, I'm not certain. Uh, that taking too of too much of a moral high ground is where um, a conservative should be in this space. Martin Whitfield on on this point about test and protect. On, on test and protect, I don't think anyone anyone has said that any of the individual members of staff or indeed the teams across the Scotland, you know, are not working extremely hard. But the reality is that they too are being struck down with people having to go off, having been exposed to COVID. We should have learned from the initial failures of our test and protect system. We should have learned from the first lockdown. We should have learned from the second. We should have entrusted the local authority teams who are the experts in this, rather than trying to have an almost centrally controlled method. And I think as the numbers rise, as Donald has said, shown the failings of test and protect, not at the level of people picking up the phones, but at the level of the, the management and the organisation of it. And Dave raises the question about you know, his child testing before she went to school, as did my children. But we look at the statistics of the um, testing that took place in schools in the last week before the summer holidays. And for children at S4 upwards, it was way, way below 6%. Those sort of levels, you know, are completely inappropriate if you're Martin, trying to use lot, data that, to Dave, make it Dave Dugan, come back in, please. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm deliberately not challenging uh, Martin on those statistics, but as a little bit of background and contextual information, that's because an awful lot of senior phase pupils uh, weren't attending in that last week. No, they were. The senior phase had to stay on until the end of term this year. That was a requirement under the alternative assessment model. Hmm. They didn't go off on exam leave as in previous years. They were all supposed to be there till the end. And the low lateral flow tests in schools were over the last four weeks of schools declining. And when the government were challenged on this, there was no answer. There was no answer to it. And yet we talk about the need for data. And without that, there's no way that you can make assessments about the value of whether you're you know, sending bubbles home, selling individuals home. Let's bring in let's bring in Helen here. Helen Helen McArdle, the, the first minister has said, you know, constant endeavor to 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 improve and upgrade. Test protect constant endeavour 
to make the vaccine vaccination program, if, if you like, more receptive. You know, you've got mobile um, centres. Uh, she, she's under pressure on these, isn't she? And 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 having to respond. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's no doubt that in the last few weeks, the introduction of things like the you know the the mobile vaccination vans and the, yeah. the drop-in centres was all about trying to get up. I was having a look at some of the, the vaccination stats um, before I came on, and it does look like you know it's quite stubborn around you know the, the kind of the over 40s, you know, we're kind of getting up maybe around about the, you know, the 80% and then it's this kind of stalling there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so I, there's no doubt that we won't see the kind of levels of uptake that we have seen in older groups and maybe that's just to be expected and it's nonetheless higher than what we maybe thought at the very beginning. I was very struck by a remark at the first, very struck by a remark the first minister made. She said, we're all thoroughly sick, thoroughly fed up of this. It was as if she was, you know, recognising that there's going to be a degree of of frankly consumer resistance to further constraints and further appeals which is saying please just yeah. give it one last go wasn't you yeah because i i think that's also interesting maybe in relation to the test and protect issue as well that one of the things that was kind of mentioned over the weekend that, that hasn't cropped up is one of the difficulties i suppose that test and protect are, are coming up against now is a reluctance of people to comply people yeah. especially if they are either fully yeah. vaccinated you know, or, or even just partially vaccinated, or yeah. as you say, because they're just sick and tired of things. People's yeah. willingness to self-isolate is is declining. You know, we're hearing things like you know, people just hanging up the phone or refusing to answer, or contact tracers getting abused. You know, for trying to do their job. So I think that is a, a factor within it. Yes, it, it's true that certainly Test and Protect hasn't been able to meet the, the target, which is very important, right? You know, right. Thanks, Helen. Donald, Donald I saw, saw you n- n- nodding there. I mean, it, it is that there's a weariness, isn't there? And that yeah. can, can lead to a, a you know, a lassitude generally and then perhaps complacency. I, I, think, I think Helen's put her finger on it. I think this is a real problem because I think compliance is beginning to fray quite, quite seriously. And I think it's, you know, it, so far it's been our, our one of the biggest weapons that we've had. You know, the ability of the public, I think, surprised everyone and the willingness of the public. To comply with very strict, um, uh, you know, and, in, and invasive rules on, on on their personal liberty, and I think that, that you know that's one of the dangers. And it's, I suppose it goes back to what I, one of the things I said at the start, which is why why I hope that we do move to level zero in eleven days' time, because um, you know I think people ex- are expecting that, and, and they need the certainty. And I think I, th- I think that to deliver on that commitment is really important because it, it will help uh, public compliance, um, which I think as, as we've seen over the last. Okay. Weeks, days is okay. beginning to, to to shatter. So you have to give people something to get them to comply with the, the rules and regulations. I mean, this this has killed this this disease has has, has, has killed thousands, hundreds of thousands. I think people need certainty, and they need to know. Okay. And I think I think one of the problems is is that rules have got more and more complicated, or at least that okay. you know, and, and also enforcement is is becoming a, a, a lot more inconsistent. Oh, and the compliance brand, you're saying, you know, should you give people something to, to incentivize them? I mean, that's not entirely unusual. I mean, other okay. countries in the world have, have done that. They've either provided people with hotel accommodation, they've provided them automatically with okay. part, you know, financial incentives to do it. We know we've always relied on self-isolation grants, which is, you know, well. I'll, I'll come to the, the, the question of the NHS in a moment. We've got a great question just come in from, from the audience and audience show. So uh, Janine says, does the panel consider, Donald, I'm going to put this to you. Does the panel consider that the Delta variant, that, that's the one that's, that's causing all the problems, now washing over us in the third wave? She's asking, would that have been preventable had the UK government closed the border to incoming flights from India? In yes. Who, who, who said yes? 
That was me, Brian. Ah, go on then, go on then. We'll, the, we'll go with you, Dave. The level of uh, neglect and ambivalence by the UK government to properly marshal the UK's borders, which, of course, Scotland, where we remain in the UK, is subject to, um, is unforgivable and will not stand scrutiny over time. Uh, and it was all predicated around the UK wanting to curry favour uh, with the Indian Prime Minister and not upset Boris Johnson's trip, scheduled trip to India uh, later on. And it was, it, it was a scandalous abdication of responsibility on the part of the UK government. Donald Cameron. No, I don't, don't accept that for a second. It would have been simply been impossible for us to avoid any transmission from Europe. We, we're a connected international country. But when it did spread, um, we've seen from the Delta variant, it, it spread very rapidly. And I just don't, don't accept what Dave said. I, I think it was, I'm afraid to say, it was unavoidable, uh, the, the Delta variant. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, it is, you know, as we all know, very transmissible and, and highly infectious. And I just don't but think... It, how, how was it, it? it was unavoidable if you'd closed the flights and prevented people coming from the, the, the Indian sub, subcontinent in, in certain numbers. Surely that would have at the least reduced and mitigated it. I mean, Professor Jason Leach is saying that the, the, that Delta variant has been seeded into, into Glasgow, Scotland's largest city, and has spread out from there. Well, well, the, you know, there, there are lots of cities in England which also have, have, have big Indian populations where infection rates are lower. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's, it's simply a question of saying, you know, that well, Glasgow, Glasgow's got a big Indian population and, and that's why it, it's such a problem. And I think the Delta variant, there are many factors for its spread in Scotland and not least the... the the, the football, which we've all been enjoying, but, but yeah. I think has led, particularly uh, well, among younger male uh, Scots, I think that's led to, led to a huge, huge ex expansion in, in, in rates going up. Martin Whitfield, you're keen to come in on this one, I, was, I can see. I was going to say, I think, I think it's overly simplistic to say that just close the borders and everything would have been fine. But what I do agree wholeheartedly with Dave is the reason for the delay had nothing to do with this virus and had everything to do with Boris Johnson's desire for a trade deal. I think the way that the infection spread, and I think it's shown almost in what Donald has said there, we're already hearing it's all the football's fault um, that it spread. When you look at the data, it clearly appears that the Delta variant um, is affecting males far more than females, which is unusual because the original um, COVID was working the other way. Um, but we also have the fact that obviously a significant proportion of the population is vaccinated and double vaccinated, although that's not an absolute protection against the COVID. I think everybody will probably know somebody who's been vaccinated who has recently um, proved positive for COVID. But the fact remains that it is our younger population, as Helen was pointing out, in the rates of vaccination that are being left behind. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're not being followed up with dropping uh, vaccination centres and buses. They've come so late to the day um, that there's no wonder there's a, a proportion of our population they, they, who interact they, with each other, who yeah. are exposed to COVID and who mm -hmm. are spreading it. Forgive me, Mark. Uh, they, they, they've done it on, on this point and bringing the, the other element. That today, the, it's been announced uh, by the UK government that if you have had a double vaccination, you will be allowed to avoid quarantine when coming back from from Amber countries, Nicola Sturgeon asked about that. She said it's something she'll be looking at very, very closely and very carefully and we'll make the decision um, in, in the near future. What, what do you make of that one? And what do you make of what you've heard from, from Donald Cameron and, and Martin Woodfield? I think, uh, I think that's very positive. I mean, one of the, one of the, real, uh, one of the real strains on people um, who haven't been touched by uh, the, the terrible grief that comes along with losing somebody to COVID yeah. 
is 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 the is the domestic restrictions and their inability to get away. One of the sectors incredibly hard hit by the restrictions is the travel sector and the aviation sector. So if we can find a way to safely um, marshal a set of rules around international travel dependent on double vaccine and that's safe, then I would welcome that with absolute open arms. But I just wanted to uh, switch yeah. back to the um, the Indian variant, yeah, uh, please. the Delta variant, Brian, because a really important fact and. Um, I, you know, I, I, I take Martin's point that you know everything. Everything wouldn't have been. Uh, we wouldn't have completely been able to eradicate the um, Delta variant from these shores if we'd acted more swiftly on the border. But we would have prevented a lot of it. And as we know, with pandemics and with um, uh, viruses of this nature, it is exponential. So the more that you get in, the more you'll end up with. So if we could have very much limited that which got in, we would have been able to very much better manage that which then spread at community level. But if you look at the way that uh, India's uh, delay from going on the red list, which fully two weeks after Bangladesh and Pakistan, um, where India was sitting right in the middle. Okay. Let's park that for a second. Helen, if I can bring you in, there's been real concern uh, in the last few days and even today about hospitals mm-hmm. under pressure, particularly in, in the highlands in the northeast. Bring us up to speed with that, if you would. Yeah, well, I think the important thing to understand about the, the hospitals under pressure, which is, is maybe a bit confusing to people, is you know, were talking about the hospitals under pressure due to COVID. That's not exactly the case. Yes, we are yeah. seeing um, an increase in admission from hospital uh, into hospital, um, and that, uh, but we're seeing it at a much smaller rate. We're, we're seeing about three percent of people who get infected feeding through into hospital. It tends to be younger people, not not universally, but it tends to be more younger people. They're not staying in hospitals long, so. Although those are going up, but the real pressure is actually coming in. And I, I've spoken to people on the front line about this just in recent weeks. The pressure that we're actually seeing is, is much more than non-COVID. So you've got accident and emergency departments, which in the past month or so have gone back to pre-pandemic levels. Now, you're talking about pre-pandemic summer levels. Yes. Now, summer tends to be, funnily enough, the, the busiest time of year. But under normal circumstances, Attendance levels at summer, you know, maybe there are about 20,000 people a week. But most of those people would have relatively minor illness, broken bones, you know, kids out playing, having an injury, that kind of thing. But what people are seeing is people presenting in accident emergency departments and they've got undiagnosed cancers or they've got chronic conditions like diabetes, which have deteriorated during the pandemic. And now they're requiring an admission into hospital. You wouldn't normally see the number of people turning up at A&E departments requiring an admission as we're seeing at the moment. So you've got that pressure, you've got those kind of unscheduled admissions into hospital. At the same time, we're also trying to catch up with huge waiting list backlogs, trying to get the elective stuff remobilized. That's again, very different from previously in the pandemic. So that's why we're seeing all this. And compounded with that, we've got the, the staffing issues with absences and the absences are down to a mixture of staff either becoming infected, staff having to self-isolate because they're identified as contacts, yeah. Something the government's looking at, um, and also um, people taking annual leave because a lot of people, you know, earlier on during winter, during the second week, doctors, nurses, all the other healthcare professionals were deferring their annual leave. They're now trying in summer, they're trying to take their annual leave, so we're losing staff to that number. You've got this perfect storm, and, and that is why we're seeing the pressure that we're seeing in the hospitals and we're just a, everywhere. A perfect storm, Donald Cameron, but also a, a hideous challenge. Do you, I mean, the first minister says very, very concerned about the pressure on on hospitals, do you still say go ahead on, on 
July 19 with liberalisation, even in the face of that evidence of problems for hospitals? Y- yes, I do. I mean, I, I, I mean, let, let's not deny that, you know, Reg Moore, that, you know, the main hospital in the Highlands in, in yeah. Inverness is one of the hospital, hospitals mentioned. But the reason for that is a, a multitude of factors. Helen's absolutely right that, 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 that are causing this. Um, and uh, it, it, it's not really patient related. It's in terms of COVID positive patients. It's not patient related, no. but, 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 but it's, it's, mu- it's to do with staffing. It's to do with all yeah. these other things. And I have to say that, you know, Helen you know, said, talked about the backlog. You know, in the long term, there is the, the backlog, I think, is one of the biggest public policy challenges facing any government, you know, including the Scottish government, clearing that backlog of you know, people that, that, that are waiting for their operations or, or haven't been diagnosed. I think it's, it's this huge sort of policy issue that is coming at us. And it goes to show that, that ultimately we have to strike a balance between you know, protecting public health, uh, protecting COVID infections, rising, you know, preventing hospitalizations. But at the same time, these, these long term issues like the, the backlog in the NHS you know, have, to, have to be balanced uh, against that. Martin Whitfield, Labour, Labour has made a substantial uh, play on this issue of, of the uh, problems in the health service. And rightly so. Remember, when the first lockdowns occurred, it was all about protecting the NHS. It, it wasn't about protecting the NHS because of COVID. COVID was a risk that was going to, to seriously damage the NHS provision. Yeah. And we managed to protect that by cancelling operations, by suspending um, cancer diagnosis. And what we're seeing now is the consequence of that. Now, we were supposed to have a 100-day post-election plan from the SNP. We were supposed to have the NHS recovery plan coming out of COVID. And here we are at the first step and it's falling apart. And it's falling apart because, as Helen has said, opening up all of the capacity to the NHS on the, the backs of workers who are exhausted um, is causing huge problems. This should have been anticipated. It was how, always how, going how, to happen. How can that possibly we were talking about it. This is a pandemic. You know, yeah. it's, it's not, these are not ordinary circumstances. No, they're it's not ordinary circumstances. You're, you're, it's forced oh. upon the health service. Not, no, not, it, not, it not, has not, been forced upon the health service, but this is a health service where experts have been saying that the summer was going to be really challenging with the opening up because A&E figures go up. We've always known that because we're moving it towards winter where, you know, Last year, the flu was very, very low because many people were staying at home, many people washing their hands and wearing masks. This yeah. year, we are likely to have a, another flu epidemic, yeah. Yeah. and we need to protect against that. This was known by the people who were working in the NHS. Why wasn't it known and planned for better from government? Dave, Dave Dugan, the, the SNP, were, were, were asleep on the job, according to that accusation. Which is complete fantasy, um, because the NHS... Um, under the control of the Scottish government is in, is a, is in a demonstrably better condition than, than many trusts um, south of the border. But I don't want to get into a, a, a ping pong on that. The, the, the Scottish government, the SNP Scottish government, recently returned to government with a pledge uh, to increase funding over five years by two and a half billion pounds. Because what Martin's point is essentially a point about funding, uh, essentially a point about resources rather. And um, I think if I pick them up right, I'm not wanting to put words in his mouth, but I think he's saying that. The recovery that the NHS requires to embark upon is not sufficiently resourced. Now, uh-huh. a lot of that resource, what government can do is it can put in financial resource and it can facilitate through higher education the human resource that comes up, comes along with that. But 
when you have such an external trauma to a well-established system as COVID was to our health service, you can't suddenly just manufacture nurses, doctors, speech therapists, physiotherapists. You can't knit them. You know, they have to come through a training process. Mm-hmm. So we're not even out of the pandemic. So it's a bit much to criticise the Scottish Government for not resourcing the NHS when the principal way in which they do resource the NHS is through finance. So, Donald Cameron, Donald Cameron, you look unimpressed by those arguments. I, I, I mean, Dave's right in, in, insofar as it, you know, it, it's partly a question of finance, but it, it's also a question of staffing. Um, and, you know, I, I was my, my party's health spokesperson for just, you know, up until the election. And I, you know, I spoke to a number of uh, professional medical organisations, you know, nurses, doctors, all, all across the, the board. And if you spoke to any of them, they all talked about staff morale, uh, st- staff pressures, stress, all the things, you know, they've been dealing at the forefront, at the front line of the pandemic for, for, for over a year. And they were absolutely on their knees. Um, so, so I think that's key. And, and, and their existing staff. And the other point I'd, I'd make is that we've had staffing issues in the Scottish NHS way before the pandemic. We were down, you know, we, we, we were going to um, have less GPs, 800 GPs down than we should have done. You know, there are problems across, the, across any, any element of the NHS, whatever discipline, there were recruitment and retention problems. And in a way, COVID is a crisis upon a crisis that, that, that I'm afraid um, it is a health service that has been run uh, by the SNP over the last 14 years. Dave Dugan, how about that? There have been pre-existing problems. One accusation that's come from Conservatives and Labour is that the, the SNP uh, didn't divert sufficient resources or spend them sufficiently effectively on the NHS. Well, I don't think that stands up to scrutiny, Brian. And I think I would ask my colleagues from the Labour Party and the Conservative Party to whom are they comparing NHS Scotland? Are you comparing it to the nurses per head in NHS England? Because I think we'd be having a very different conversation if people were to be a little bit more realistic about the challenges that health boards and governments face uh, in recruiting and retaining and training um, within a fixed financial envelope, um, the, the NHS staff that we need. Let's be really clear. The NHS in Scotland is uh, does a tremendous job. We all value it, and, and the NHS wasn't being criticised by by my colleagues there. Um, so, but, it, but it is, like all other public service organisations, reliant on a finite amount of funding. Um, and it's a balance. You know, we can throw all public resources at the NHS, but I'm not certain that's what the public wants either. So there's a continuous process of reform within NHS Scotland, but the challenges are very significant. And you can't just click your fingers in government and make these things happen. It's easy to make these proclamations from opposition, but when you're actually in government, these things are very difficult to manage. And even I after talk. 14 yeah. years. Go on, please. Yeah, go on, go on Martin. Go on. I was going to say, even after 14 years. I spoke to someone only this morning who's struggling to speak to their GP because of, you know, the, the, the rules that have been put in place. She wants yeah. to go and sit in the same room as the GP, and it's proving almost impossible. Mm-hmm. My own partner went to a drop-in vaccination only this morning because her second dose vaccination was so far in the future, but she was over the period of time. I think it's all very well to say, compare it to this, compare it to that. However, when you talk to the people who live here in Scotland, when you talk to the people who are trying to use the NHS, who are queuing, as a friend of mine did with their son in accident and emergency, they're looking at a system where they are not blaming any nurse, doctor or staff member. They are looking at the NHS on its knees, and that is the responsibility of the SNP government. Briefly, briefly, Dave, briefly, Dave Duggan, and then I'm going to move on to something, another topic. Dave Duggan. 
Well, I think, you know, the, 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 there's no question about it that the, the public health measures that have been introduced in primary care settings um, are problematic for people in terms of getting a physical appointment with their GP. But that is a specific function of COVID. Uh, and that and that will be dealt with um, as as restrictions uh, release. Now, and I, I think actually people are very capable of being a bit uh, of being pragmatic about exactly what they can expect uh, from yeah. the NHS. Because I think most people, um, despite sometimes what politicians say, most people are very very um, very pleased uh, with the the support and the health and and the healthcare that they get from our from our territorial health boards and, and, and that's a function of, of appropriate investment by Scottish government. And incidentally, you know we've yeah. had forty years. You know, Martin's absolutely right, and and that's four elections that people of Scotland who, of course, live in Scotland, Martin, have returned the SNP and put them in charge of the NHS. So I think Robert, um, why don't you? That's the way, Dave. Don, Don, Donald Cameron, let, let, let me tell you something. Another issue was raised by Nicola Sturgeon. She said she understood the pressure upon her to follow um, what was happening elsewhere, basically to follow what Boris Johnson is doing for England, which <laughs> is pretty well lifting uh, constraints altogether from 19th of July, although with with, with uh, certain elements uh, d deferred. But she seemed to be hinting that he, you know he'd, he'd gone too far on. You know, making it making it voluntary on face coverings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do do you think Donald Cameron? Do you think that Boris Johnson has has he has he sounded too gung ho on occasion, or do you think he's handled uh, the coronavirus uh, episode with with balance? Well, I, I think you're going to what what the first minister said. I mean, I've always maintained that Scotland and England have to you know do what's best for them in terms of the public health advice that they've been given, and uh, that. We've all accepted, I think, from the very beginning, that that yeah. may mean that, that past divert. Um, you know, I think um, I, I imagine the prime minister is following the advice that he's been given by his scientists, who, you know, the chief 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 medical officer, etc. Um, to to to, and that it is being, you know, he he's a, he is just adhering to that advice. But is it really wise to be talking, as he has done, about Freedom Day and allow that sort of language to be used and that? Tends to give the impression of oh, ah, it's all over, it's 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 all done, it's all sorted, it's 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 back out in the in, in, in into normal life. Well, I think to be to be fair to him, I don't think he has he has personally trumpeted. You know, the, the, this is a great sort of moment of national liberation. But mm. I, I think there is a very interesting philosophical difference, which is that he is more prepared, I think, to to to, to change from a kind of mandatory system to a more yes. advisory system where public advice exists and then it is up to an individual to take responsibility for their own for their own actions uh, and i think that that's actually a very interesting sort of distinction uh, between between him and, and nicola sturgeon where whereas yeah. it seems to be in scotland that, that it's slightly more um, the government has been slightly more interventionist yeah, questioning from Brian Hutchison, the different approaches from Sturgeon Johnson, he says, are nothing but confusing. Uh, he asks, who's getting it right? Well, I, I, I mean, I think, that, as I said at the start, I think the rules are becoming confusing uh, everywhere yeah. because, because we're, we're getting a plethora of rules, levels, systems, uh, and enforcement is also inconsistent. So I, I think there's a general difficulty uh, which leads to less public compliance, which in itself is a problem. But, but um, in terms of who's getting it right, I mean, I yeah. think each country is doing the best for, 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 for their own population and on the advice that they've been given. I think that's a very, I don't think one can actually make that make that judgment. And to be fair, Nicola Sturgeon made plain that the decisions taken by Boris Johnson were entirely in his own, his own remit. She wasn't questioning or challenging them. D Dave, what do you make about this? Who's, who's getting it right? 
Um, well, there's, uh, uh, as Nicola Sturgeon, as, uh, as our first minister, we first to point out, I think it's probably degrees of rightness. I don't think ah. anybody's got everything completely right. Gotcha. But a point I made yesterday in the SNP's op- opposition debate on COVID contracts yeah. um, in the House of Commons, um, if you look at uh, the United Kingdom, which, let's be clear, is an island nation with a developed co- economy and a sophisticated healthcare system, we've still succumbed to one, uh, 120, 128 thousand deaths um, uh, uh, from COVID um, and we have um, an extremely high um, an extremely high death rate per million, way, way above uh, what Ireland's got. Ireland's succumbed to 1,011 deaths per million. Japan, another island nation with a sophisticated healthcare system and a developed economy has succumbed to 127 deaths per million. So, you know, unfortunately in my view for Scotland, we don't have our hands on the big levers. We don't have our hands uh, on the Treasury, on the Department of Working Pensions mm-hmm. and on the uh, borders uh, and on uh, various other things. So we couldn't take those macro decisions that the UK had to take at the start. So we would lumped in with that too. Yeah, just still on that, Dave, just, just still, let's, you've raised that. Let's stick with that. You, your party has been very critical of UK government support for the economy, particularly the plans to remove the uplift in universal credit. But, well, that's correct. And I think that there's very little in this COVID uh, crisis shows the disconnect between ministers in London and ordinary people and communities up and down these islands. Um, this has been a tremendously difficult time for people um, with uh, people in receipt of uh, benefits having that universal credit uplift to help with the additional cost. We've the, cha- the Chancellor says that was introduced for a crisis and, and the crisis is demonstrably passing. Yeah, uh, well... That maybe it is in the kind of world that the Chancellor lives in, but I can guarantee you, for universal claimants in Angus and elsewhere across Scotland, the crisis is not uh, disappearing. Um, and, you know, we've just heard from Baker Hughes and Montrose further job losses. Um, you know, if he thinks that the public health situation is inexorably linked in real time to the economic situation, he's kidding himself on. People are facing real hardship uh, who are in receipt of universal credit, and the fact that they're cannot wait, over and above the three million people they haven't helped at all, uh, uh, that they cannot wait to pull back this £20 uplift. It shows uh, a, 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 an unappealing and uncaring side to this UK government. Ma- Martin Whitfield, then Donald Cameron on, on that point about help, uh, assisting the economy and universal credit. Martin, first, please. Certainly. I mean, I, I would echo what Dave has just said. I mean, <laughs> universal credit has fallen apart, but then to remove the £20 uplift... Um, so soon is ridiculous. It should have been made permanent. It has managed to help people who were in dire need through an appalling time. I visited a, a food bank only only last week, and again, the numbers of people who are having to visit the food bank are rising exponentially. And they're not just unemployed people; they are people in work. They are people who are struggling, who have an income, who require universal credit to build that up. And now these people are being hit in the face by saying the £20 uplift is going to be taken from you. And just as Dave said, far, far from the end of this pandemic and how it will affect people. Don Cameron. But, I mean, I, I disagree with what Martin said. I mean, universal credit has not fallen apart. It, you know, universal credit as a system has um, you know, not only survived this pandemic, it, is, it has worked. It is you know, this, this new, new comprehensive system has has shown that it can it can be effective uh, and also you know let's not forget the united kingdom government has um, put into scotland 
14.5 billion pounds additional funding uh, in terms of you know and that goes for furlough uh, for, for various support schemes etc and i you know i just don't accept that that not enough has been done and ultimately we, we can't carry on with with something like furlough forever it has to any reasonable person would accept that it has to slowly draw to a close and i think that 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 that, that is what the chancellor said and and that is reasonable I'm going to have to slowly bring this to a close, but let, let me go around each of the panels, starting with Helen. Where are we going next? What, what, what's coming up next? Is it liberalisation? Is it is it concerns over winter? What, what, do a bit of forecasting for me. A, 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 a deeply unfair question, but there we go. It's part of my charm. Helen. <laughs> um, well, I'm hopeful that what we're going to see is some sort of slowdown in cases. Um, so I think we'll probably have some sort of half and half um, move forward you know from july the 19th i don't think we'll do everything we'll do some things we're obviously for quite a while going to see the impact on hospitals um you know because even if cases slow down we'll we'll see the long-term um sort of scale um of that and i suppose yeah the 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 worries then are by the time we finish vaccinating all the adults we still haven't decided what we're doing about the children Okay. Um, we'll say before we're doing a bit boosters, those are going to be the next big challenges that we'll Very briefly from the rest of you, please. Martin, then Donald, and then finally Dave Duggan. Martin Whitfield, please. I, I would say that the area to look at with concern is the start of the university term. We have 17-year-olds who go to university in Scotland who can't get a vaccination at the minute because they're not 18, and they're going to be meeting 18-year-olds who potentially have had their first vaccination and waiting for the second. The return of the universities was a, a, a crisis badly handled last time. We have a few weeks to sort it out. Let's see if that happens. Donald, Donald Cameron. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pos- positive and optimistic, and I hope that we do move to, to, to fewer restrictions um, and do so in, in quite short order. And I think, you know, hopefully um, we're in a, you know, the, the public health science and statistics shows that we're in that position. I think the longer term challenges we've gone over, but I think, you know, the, the NHS and dealing with the backlog in operations, that there'll be several longer term issues that we will have to grapple with and grapple with quickly. Thank you very much. Dave Duggan. Yeah, I'm hopeful very much for the restrictions easing um, as soon as possible, consistent with the public underlying public health situation. I think that's a valid point about 17 year olds going to university. I think we'll get down to the 18 the year old cohort and get them finished as quickly as possible and then start the 12 to 17 year olds as quickly as possible after that. The recovery in the NHS is vital and it's in good hands under the SNP with 25,000 more members of staff than there was in 2007. Many, many thanks to my panel. Thanks to all of you for listening. Just time for a quick word from me about the big football game coming up this weekend. Yes, it's Kelty Hearts versus Dundee United in the league. <laughs> from me, Brian Taylor, to Luminu. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant, unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene.